Uh, well, good morning, church. I remember being in, uh, in third grade in elementary school, and uh, our teacher took us on a field trip to go see the uh, Nutcracker performance. Um, I don't know why they thought taking the third grade class to the ballet and orchestra was a good idea, um, but my teacher deserves a Nobel Prize for that. But I remember the only thing I remember from this, besides how bored I was as a third grader, was the amazement of how many musicians could play together and it sound great. Now, years later, like I would probably really appreciate going, but I want you to imagine being in an orchestra for a second, being in a symphony hall, and you're there and you hear all these instruments, dozens of musicians, hundreds of musicians playing their own instrument, they have their own sheet music, and yet at the same time you hear the same song. It's all one sound unified together, right? You go to an orchestra, you have kind of a, a few different sections there in the pit, right? You have your string section or your percussions, right? You have your woodwinds, your brass, and they all have their own job, their own role, but they all contribute to the one overall song. Imagine you're there and you have a special power that at the wave of your hand, you can silent any section of the orchestra. You can tell the percussion to stop, the brass instruments to stop, and all you want to hear is a violin player. You silence 99 of the 100, but you hear the violin player. Now, when you hear the violin player play alone, it's going to sound different. You don't have the percussion, you don't have the brass, but you can still hear a note of that song. Then you can bring them all back together, and you hear the song, and then you silence them and just listen to the percussion. It sounds different, but it's still part of that same song. Right? Even here at CBBC, sometimes we're singing a worship song, and they stop all the instruments, and they just maybe play the guitar. It sounds different, but you can still know that's that same song. Now, I'm going to stop there because I am not even qualified to speak about any part of music theory, but I think this is going to help us understand 1 Corinthians for a second. The letter of 1 Corinthians has an overall song. There's a song, and yet it's made up of all these little parts and sections, right? There are five different sections of 1 Corinthians, and nothing here is random. Every one of these sections and paragraphs and verses is to support the overall message, the overall Song. So we have 16 chapters here in 1 Corinthians, and it's kind of divided into five major topics. So it's like each one of these topics in 1 Corinthians, one of them is like the strings, one's like the percussion, one's like the woodwinds, and so on. And all of a sudden, you put them all together, it forms 1 Corinthians. But sometimes we get lost, right? We just zero in on a verse. We're not sure how it connects to the rest of the letter, but it's part of the orchestra. You don't need to memorize this because we're going to work our way through it. But there are five major sections of 1 Corinthians. This fall, we're going to be looking at just section one, the first four chapters where Paul really zeroes in on what it means for a local church like ours to be unified. Next spring, we'll look at chapters five to seven on purity, where it talks about a lot of sinful issues going on in the Corinthian church. Next year, we'll, we'll cover the rest, but each section has an overall kind of harmony to it but it contributes to the overall song. So one last time, I want you to imagine, you know, in a, I don't know, a couple, maybe next year, we'll be talking about spiritual gifts. What does it mean for you to serve your local church? That's a topic of spiritual gifts. 
A topic of spiritual gifts is like one violin player. Very important to the book, but it's not the entire book. But that violin player sits in a bigger topic, right? For example, the gathering, number four there. But that gathering section is not random. It's there to support the entire argument. So just how a violin player doesn't exist by themselves, they exist in with the other stringed instruments, and then they exist within the whole orchestra, right? So this is kind of how to view certain books of the Bible. The big orchestra is 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at instruments throughout the whole time, hopefully remembering that there is an overall song to it. Now, we're going to preach this letter in 44 sermons, um, which to you might seem like a lot. Uh, I had this plan of 44 sermons. The other option was like 92 sermons. So um, maybe next year. We'll see, right? No, I'm just kidding. But we'll do that maybe some other time. But this what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of have what we like to do sometimes is have like a 20,000 foot view of the book. We're going to look at the first three verses and these first three verses of 1 Corinthians give us the overall tune or the overall song of all of 1 Corinthians. So as we jump into section by section, you're going to kind of know where you're at. So we're going to look at the first three verses of the letter of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you find that in your Bible, please stand for reverence of the word of the Lord. It's also on page 952 of the Pew Bible, 952. 1 Corinthians 1, this is the word of the Lord. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help your word dwell in us richly this morning from 1 Corinthians that we may look more like your son, Jesus. Spirit, help us. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We often call, you know, these individual parts of the Bible books, and that's true, but specifically, this is a letter, a letter that a man penned to a recipient. And this man is Paul with the help of another man named Sosthenes who wrote an actual letter to a group of Christians who formed a church in the city of Corinth. Thus it's called 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the church in Corinth. You can read about Corinth and, and this church back in Acts 18, but Paul founded this church when he was ministering there and stayed there a year and a half and gave himself to this church. And he begins this letter here in verse 1 by calling himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. He does that intention. Now, none of us can ever claim to be an apostle. Apostles are, they're done. Apostle is someone who actually with their own eyes saw Jesus and met Jesus and were sent out by Jesus. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and is kind of considered the last apostle there is. So Paul is not writing this to kind of show his resume per se, but to show that he is speaking with the authority of Jesus to this church. This is not just a letter of advice or words of information. This is someone as a spokesman for Jesus writing to a church. And these three verses, we often might read through them very quickly when we're reading our Bibles because it just looks like informations and greetings. But in these three verses, give us the entire theme or the entire song of 1 
Corinthians. I want to give that to you this morning. The main point, the overall song of this entire letter is this. Church, you belong to God together and exist to live for God together. Each part, each instrument of this letter contributes to that overall point. Eight times, eight times in these three verses, God is mentioned or referenced. Three times it's the the name God. The other five five times is references to Jesus Christ. So eight references and three verses to God, which is important. But then also in verse 2, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth. Not only is God mentioned eight times here, but here he is specifically claiming the church at Corinth. Verse 2 is not just an address or a title. It's Paul telling the congregation in Corinth that their church belongs to God and God loves to claim them. Loves to claim them. As we go about this letter, as we work our way through chapter by chapter, we're going to realize how encouraging that phrase in verse 2 is. So I encourage you to underline that. We'll come back to it. But the fact that God is going to claim the church at Corinth should encourage us. Because there's a reason why you drive around the Chippewa Valley, there's probably not a church that's called First Corinthian Baptist Church. You would not want to imitate this church that we're going to be reading about. But right away here, though they have division and they have sexual morality, I mean, some of them are so prideful in their church that they don't let the poor people take the Lord's Supper. Okay, this is the church at Corinth. It's messed up. And yet right away, God says, Despite all that, I'm claiming you as my church. The church of God at Corinth. That should encourage us. Right? Before we get to rebuke and corrections and here's what you should do better, God says, I still love you and you are mine. And in verse 3, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this in almost every one of his letters in the beginning. And these are not just kind of coincidental words like, hey, hope you have a good day, blessings on your day. No, this is Paul saying, you church, we hope that you know the grace of Jesus that's already yours. We hope you realize that you have peace with God, that sin doesn't define you. This is Paul saying, you have the gospel, we hope you experience the gospel today. Paul is telling this church, you are loved by God so much that Jesus came to give you his grace and his peace. This letter begins with so much encouragement, and as we're going to see, so much of this letter is often correction. But it begins with the foundation that they are chosen by God and they belong to Him. And this was written almost 2,000 years ago. And yet, this is also for us today. Because CDBC, like Corinth, we belong to God and we exist for God together. God is going to claim us too, and we have our sin we have our weaknesses, we have our problems. Even when we come together, we have problems together. We don't always have it all together. And yet God is claiming Chippewa Valley Bible Church as his church. Any gospel-believing, Jesus-worshiping church, God claims as his. And that's pretty cool. It's encouraging that our church is not owned by anyone. It's not your church, it's not my church, it's not the elder's church, it's not the deacon's church. It is the church of God. 
This is Jesus' church. He's the authority. He grows it. He structures it. He sanctifies it. He sustains it. He is the one who brings all the ugliness of us together and actually gives us something beautiful. It's all Jesus. So we're going to look today in a second at a couple truths and some facts that we need to know as the church. But before we do that, I want to point out something that's probably so obvious, and yet it runs through all of the letter. Paul did not write this letter to an individual. Okay, he wrote it to a, a church, a church in Corinth, a local church like ours, a group of people who would meet to worship together, like we're doing right now. He did not write this letter to individuals. He wrote it for the whole church. Now, there's a lot of individual application here. If you read this, you're going to see, I need to be better in this area. I need to grow here. Yes, that's all true. Take the individual application and run with it. But we are mostly going to be looking at application for the entire church because the entire church is the recipient of this letter. Paul wants to see how can we, when we gather together, whether it's dozens of us or hundreds of us, how can we live out the Christian life together? That is the point. That's why in verse 2 it's written to the church, not a specific Christian, or why it says saints, plural, in verse 2. But also verse 3, I want to point out something to you. It says, grace to you. You see that word, you. If I said to you, hey, let's go, I want to have dinner with you, you're going to think, okay, just me and you are going to have dinner, and that's accurate. But in the original language of the New Testament, this word, you, is plural. A good rule of thumb for Bible reading, if you are reading a letter from Paul, you should all automatically assume that the you is always plural. Paul is saying to the church, to you dozens, to you hundreds of Christians reading this, this is for you all. So I want to give to you kind of our vernacular here, okay, verse 3. Uh, we, we would probably write verse 3 as grace to you guys. Or grace to all y'all, for those of you south, or for those of you from Pennsylvania, grace to you ins, Okay. That's what it should look like, and it's hard for us to read it sometimes in the English, but this is a letter written for corporate, congregational, community application. So we're mostly going to be focusing on how, as the church, we can be like Jesus together, because this is the best place for us to grow in our Christ-likeness. So before we get to all the issues, all the topics, all the hot topics we want to look at, Paul, in this section and in the next week's sermon, wants to give us kind of a good foundation of truths. And today I want to talk about three truths about any local church who loves Jesus. Three truths for us at CVBC. And the first one is this. CVBC, we are holy in God together. First thing Paul wants us to see is that we are holy as the local church. Look at verse two here, the first two phrases in verse two specifically. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified, that's the key word, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctify is a very Christian word that we don't use probably outside of these walls, but I think we should know what it means. Sanctified means to be made holy, to be set apart by God. There's two types of sanctification. One type that we talk about a lot is what we call ongoing sanctification, right? Every day you hope you look more like Jesus. But that's not the sanctification right here. We'll get to that one in a moment. But this is, you look at the word sanctified. It's, it looks like it's past tense as if it's already happened, it's completed, it's perfected. What Paul is saying, the moment that any Christian 
becomes a Christian, he or she is considered sanctified, period, end of discussion. It means you are made holy. Your sins are wiped away, cleansed from you. You are set apart, no longer considered sinful or condemned or unholy. But in a moment, because you're in Jesus, you are declared holy and set apart, sanctified. It's already happened in the past. So Paul's writing to a church like this and says, guys, forget everything else right now. What I want you to zero in on is that you as a church, you are holy. You are holy. Jesus died for you all. Your identity is not so much what you do outside of these walls right now, but think about this. Your identity is that in the eyes of God, you are set apart and holy and clean. Yes, you have issues, you have sin. We'll get to that here for the next 15 chapters. But right now, in the eyes of God, you have no stain on your record. God looks at you as if you have never lied or gossiped or lost your anger, or lusted, or had a sense of pride. He treats you like he treats Jesus. Because you are in Jesus. You have the character of Jesus. So you are holy and set apart. So this morning we gather as holy people. This is a holy gathering. Now we all in this past week, we've all sinned. We've gossiped or lied, we've lost our anger, we've lusted, we've done something against the nature of God, and yet as a gathered people today, Jesus looks down at us as a holy people. I think this should encourage you because no matter what you did this last week or last month or whatever the last time it is that you stepped foot in here, you are looked at as holy if you are in Jesus. And some of us, right, we struggle with how could God ever love me? How could God ever bless me? Right? I, if anyone can lose their salvation, it's going to be me, right? We think that. We, God wouldn't like me because I, I know my failures, my sin. I know how my mind works. I know the real me. But right here, God says very clearly, if you are in Jesus, you are sanctified, period. There's no footnote. There's no exceptions here. If you believe in Jesus... If your heart's been changed, God looks at you as holy. And we're not this way by our own doing. We are not holy because of our own morality, but because of Christ's doing. We, have, we never have any reason to brag as Christians in a church. We never have the holier-than-thou mentality. No, because like everyone else, we sin, we mess up. We are like everyone else on our own. The only difference is Jesus took us. And claims us. And we are only holy because of Jesus. That's why it says, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Not in my own record. Not in my morality. Not in my community service. Not in the fact that I'm better than that person over there. No, I am only holy because of what? I am placed inside of Christ Jesus. And Jesus makes us holy. Ephesians 5, we often only look at this really for uh, the discussion of marriage, which we're not going to do right here. But I want you to look at these words. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the church, us, might be holy and without blemish. What makes the church holy? What sanctifies the church? It's all of Christ. 
He laid down his life. He gave himself up for her. He took our sin as the church. He took all of our, our filth and he took it to the grave and he laid down his life for the bride of Christ, for the church. And we get all of his beauty, all of his holiness from Jesus, our groom. And we are considered not unholy, not condemned, not deserving of the wrath of God, but we are considered holy and set apart. So we get the love and the delight and the blessings of God because we are in Jesus, because he died, because he resurrected. So even if we try to live our lives and pursue morality and good behavior, but if we discard Christ, that's not holiness. That's filthy rags. A life without Christ is an unholy life. No matter how good and polished we look, holiness is Jesus. So if you are in Christ, you are holy. So this should at first encourage you, church. Jesus has made you holy and God has stamped his eternal approval upon you. And this is why the church, overall, all the Christians everywhere, and even local churches like ours, have made it, have lasted, have been sustained. Why? Because God loves us and has declared us holy. And this is not a light switch you can turn on and turn off. You are never, some days holy and some days not. No, that light switch of holiness is always on if you are in Christ. But this also should reorient us a bit. Of all people, Christians have no room for pride. We have no room to think that we are better than anyone else because we aren't. We aren't any more moral on our own. We don't have any better behavior on our own. The only thing that's different between us and our nature than theirs is that Jesus grabbed a hold of us. We're not here to mock and to scoff and to judge the world. No. Do morals matter? Yes. Morals matter. Behavior matters. Good deeds matter. But on our own without Jesus, they are filthy rags and they mean nothing. And this is why our goal as a church or any church is not to make people or our community or a nation, or a family more moral or better behaved. Because that gives us nothing eternally. All right, our church is not to fix our community or to fix politics and make them better. No, that doesn't actually do anything for eternity. Our goal is to give people Jesus so that Jesus can do what he's done in us, make an unholy person into a holy person who loves Jesus. So yeah, you want to see change in your neighborhood or your kids or your country, great, give them Jesus. Give them Jesus Christ, his love, his grace, his miracles, his deeds, his words. Do you want change? Yes, give them Jesus, because Jesus alone makes unholy people into holy people. And that's the business of the church. Jesus has made us holy. He is the key. A church that forgets about Jesus is missing the point. So Jesus has declared us holy. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus together. So this is a holy church. Second truth about us, CVBC, is that God calls us to be holy together. God calls us to be holy together. Again, verse 2, we'll read just maybe another phrase here in verse 2. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Let's stop there. 
Those last words, called to be saints together. That word saint, it comes from the same word sanctified that's in the phrase before. It means those who have been set apart, those who are holy. So if we're called to be saints together, we are called to be holy together in a group. Um, A saint is not a special Christian. Um, All Christians are saints because sainthood means holiness. And if you are in Christ, you are holy. So verse 2 already said, you guys are made holy in Jesus. It's done, period. But now this says, okay, now be saints together. As in, live out your true identity now. When Jesus got a hold of us, he turned us into a new creation. The old has gone, it's passed away, the new has come. We are already holy, but now we have the opportunity and the privilege every day to live out our sainthood, to live out our holiness, to live out our Christ-likeness. Right, when I was a kid, my parents paid money for me to play Little League Baseball. They signed me up, they paid the money, signed the waiver, bought me the glove, I got the jersey on, I show up to games and practices. I am officially a baseball player. But yet, I was still expected to be at practice. So I had to learn how to field ground balls better, how to swing better, how to throw properly, how to get the right baseball mechanics. But I was already a baseball player. Well, yes, but don't you every day want to live out being a better baseball player so that next time you can look more the part? It's kind of similar here to our sanctification. You are holy in itself, but God has given you new desires and a new delight to be more of who you are every single day. We get to live out before God and before all else what Jesus has done. So when we leave these walls, we should be taking what we learn, our sainthood, our holiness, the word of God, and living it out for all to see as lights in our communities. Our individual life and behavior matters. Yes, we are an ambassador of Christ's church called to live as individuals out who we truly are. But again, this is all about the church. How do we you know, as hundreds of people who come to CBBC on a Sunday morning, how do we together pursue holiness together? Because doing things together is really hard because I always know the best way, right? So when you put more people in, they're going to mess it up, right? So we think. Playing team sports is difficult, right? You have to be in unison. You have to be working together. So how do we live out our sainthood together as a corporate body? Right? In other words, when you show up to church and you walk in the lobby and go to your small group or your Bible study or you invite a fellow church member over to your house, how can you help each other live out your holiness? How can you point each other to Jesus? Well, I have suggestions. I mean, there are thousands of suggestions of how to do this. But I want to give you four ways that we as a group of Christians together can help each other look more holy. The first two you can really schedule and do pretty simply. The last two are a bit harder, but all four matter. So four ways for us at CVBC to be holy together. The first one is this, sing loudly to one another on Sundays. Okay, you've already done this, so congratulations. Some of you, some of you didn't really sing that loud and I saw you, but <laughs> we are commanded in Ephesians 5 to sing to each other as the church. So first of all, when you obey scripture, that's holiness, by the way. So there you go. 
But also when we stand to sing, what are we singing to? We're singing to God primarily that he deserves all of the honor and the glory and the fame. We are singing out prayers of how great God is. So that's only going to make us more holy the more that we communicate with God. But also, we're also singing secondarily to one another. You know, maybe you've had a really rough week or you're sitting in shame or guilt for your sin or you're wondering what to do in your life, you're just feeling down. And to hear voices of fellow family members singing out truths about God will only encourage you or wake you up or remind you of forgiveness in Jesus. Alone, we get in our own head, we get in our own emotions, but you have other people singing out the same truths you believe. That strengthens you, that encourages you. So you start singing to one another as well. You will only be made more holy the louder you sing and hear the congregation singing because God blesses congregational singing. So sing loudly. Secondly, to help each other become holy, pray for one another all week. Now, most of the Sundays of the, of the month, we pray for a couple church members by name. But what are we doing the rest of the week? If we believe that prayer actually matters, that God actually answers prayers and does things with them, what would it look like if in our church, every day you're praying for one or two or three other church members, churchgoers, asking that they will look more like Jesus that day? I think that's a prayer that God would love to answer. Ephesians 6, 18 says we should pray at all times with supplication, with requests and names in mind for other people. You look back maybe at your last year or five years or 10 years of your Christian life, you can look at the things that maybe are going really good. Like I started reading the Bible every day or I got involved at a church. I started doing these habits and God uses those. That's great. But you know what's behind the scenes that you don't see? The countless prayers that people like you have prayed for one another that God has chosen to answer. Maybe you are looking more like Christ, not just because you decided to read your Bible more, but because someone else was praying for you to look more like Christ, and God answered that prayer. If we sit around at our homes and we, we pray for one another and we bring each other to the throne of God, and God answers those prayers, man, that's going to be a huge blessing for us. So I kind of help with that. You know, at a table out here, you go out to the right, there's a table with a calendar of two or three names every day you can pray for in our church and pray for them by name. And I guarantee you, God loves to hear the prayers of the saints. So those first two, maybe they're a little difficult at times. Maybe you don't like to sing or you sing really poorly like me or it's really hard to pray, but these at least are structured things you can do for our church as a whole to grow in holiness. The last two are a bit more difficult. Number three is you should know each other so you can love each other. Romans 12.10 says we are called as the church to love one another with brotherly affection. Maybe you have a brother, maybe you have a sister or a best friend, and there's a unique love that happens, right? Because they grew up with you, they know your tendencies, your personalities, your interests. They can almost predict how you would react in a situation. You know them so well, they know you so well, so you love each other. Is this true of your church family? Is there a person here or a group of people here who love you with a brotherly affection? What makes this so hard for you and for me is that this actually requires us to let people into our lives. And we feel like we're really good on our own. Or we'll scare people away, right? 
But the more that we know each other, the more we can uniquely love one another. So that lobby out there, right, is not just kind of a dead space. That lobby out there is really important. Because what if in those moments you come into that lobby not thinking, got to get my coffee, got to do enough small talk so people know that I'm at least friendly-ish and go sit down in my pew. No, no, no. What if you go in there thinking, how can I love someone here? Sometimes that's giving your devoted attention. Sometimes that's asking, hey, how can I pray for you? That might be saying, hey, I want to have dinner with you this next week. How can we know each other to make that person feel loved? Or your cell phone, which we spend almost our entire day on. How can we use our cell phone to know and love our congregation more? Who can you text or call? Loving each other takes boldness and initiative, and it actually takes us planning to do it. But if we love one another with a brotherly affection, we are acting like Jesus, which makes us holier. New Testament talks about how God is love. When we love one another well, we are imitating God. The more you imitate God, the holier and more like Him you live out. So we are living out our love for each other in the lobby, on phone calls and emails, having people come over to your house and cooking for them. That's a holy decision. If you're seeking out loving them, God is honored in that. So love each other. But the fourth way to be holy together as a church, as a group, is I call it to join your life to the church. Now, I don't have a specific application here, but I want to read to you a few verses from Ephesians, another letter that Paul wrote, kind of having this attitude and mentality. Paul writes, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, we understand the metaphor here, right? If something in your body, your physical body is not working properly, that's going to probably affect the rest of your body and how it functions, This is Jesus saying, compare the physical body to the church, that we together make up the bones and the joints and the organs of the church so that when we are all properly working together, guess what? The body grows and functions and it's wonderful. I don't have a practical point here except maybe consider this and evaluate. Would you say that you are joined to a local group of Christians? to its worship, to its doctrine, to its community, to its values, to its people, you will not grow into the stature of maturity or Christ-likeness if you're not joined to a church. So maybe you know, like, I need to commit to where I'm at. Maybe this is your church. Maybe you're visiting and you have other churches in your area. Get involved. Know people. We have programs here not just to have programs. We have programs so that people get funneled in and find community and find life, right? Bible studies and women's mentor groups and men's reading groups. All of these things exist so that we can join our lives to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't let the church or don't let other Christians or community be just an add-on or an accessory you can attach or detach whenever you want to. No, make it where your life is joined to it because we need you to be more holy and you need us to be more holy, which essentially means we need each other to look like Jesus. We are called not just to pursue Jesus alone, but we are called to help one another look more like Jesus. It's a great calling to have. 
It's a great calling to have. So we are holy in Jesus, period. We're called to live out our holiness together. But third and finally, the last truth here from Paul is that we are called to unify around Jesus Christ together. CBC, we're called to unify around Jesus together. One last time, look at verse 2. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul says, yeah, you Christians, you're called to be saints together, but also you church in Corinth, you're not the only Christians and saints in the entire world. There are Christians and saints and people that are made holy in every place on this globe. There are churches and Christians made holy in Jesus. Now, what is the prerequisite for someone to be made holy? It's right there in verse 2. It's for those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To call upon is not just to make a phone call. No, it's to believe in, to trust in, to lean our entire eternal weight upon Jesus as our only refuge and salvation from our sin. We're going to realize more and more over these next few months why Paul brings this up here in verse 2. One of the reasons is that Corinth, this church, had such pride and independency. They thought they were the only church who got it right in the history of the world. As if other churches or other Christians had nothing to teach them or model for them. But also, they didn't just have pride issues. The church at Corinth was divisive. They had groups in their church who tried to divide the church over who their favorite leader was. Do we have problems of division in our culture today? Yeah, if you said no to that, I think you lied in church, right? Like, this is so clear. There is pride and division everywhere we look. And it was happening here in the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago. So here in the beginning, Paul says, before we look at all that stuff, let's lay the foundation here. All Christians, all gospel-believing churches call upon the name of Jesus together. Yes, we have disagreements and debates. Yes, there's division in churches there's division in the world, but first, before we look at that, get to the foundation. Our job, CVBC, our first job is to rally around the name of Jesus together. Friends, we're going to have disagreements in our church. Some of these are biblical disagreements, right? We have some who believe certain things about doctrinal topics. You might believe this about revelation or this about spiritual gifts, and someone might disagree with both of your views, right? Some of you disagree with each other on how to parent, or what schools are good for your kids, or politics. Like, I'm going to vote for this guy, you're going to vote for that guy, I don't know how to agree together. We'll work through some of that. It's important, it's healthy. But CVBC will never be a place where we agree on everything. It won't. But what we do agree on, CVBC is going to be a place where we all agree that Jesus is king. And that's where we start. We don't start at the problems, we start at the foundation. That's why we took communion today. Again, this is not just an individual thing to do, for you to get fueled up for yourself for your week. No, this is a corporate meal. We shared of the bread and the cup together. We shared of Jesus together. We're looking to the gospel. We are unified at this table around Jesus. There's a seat at the table of the Lord for all those who call upon the name of the Lord. 
So you may honestly struggle to have a friendship with someone here because of a different belief on something. But can you at least start by looking at them and saying, they believe in the same Jesus I do. Yeah, even if they think differently or vote differently or raise their kids differently, they are in Christ, and that means they are in you too. I'm also, I, I'm also thankful that we live in a community where we are not the only gospel-believing church. Right? There's, a diff- there's a reason why there are different churches. We might disagree on things, right? Baptism or Lord's Supper or this or that. But the good news is this, that one day we're going to be bowing down before Jesus Christ next to members from other churches that also bow down to Christ. So we have no reason to be prideful or divisive against other gospel-believing churches. Within half a mile of our building right now, half a mile, there's Crossroads Church, there's Harvest Time Chippewa, there's Christ Lutheran, Faith Lutheran, Bridgewater Baptist. Those are just the churches within half a mile of here. And of all the people there right now who have called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, we're going to be worshiping with them in heaven one day. We are unified in Jesus together, even with our differences on other matters. Differences matter. Yes, they do. Do I care about the differences? Yes, I do. But begin with the foundation. We rally around and unify around Jesus together, and we have a privilege and a responsibility to live that out to the world. The world of division and talking points and fighting and wars and disagreements. We can model what it looks like to love each other genuinely and yet still have differences. The world can look at us seeing this and say, you, okay, you all, you guys, right? You, you are different. And we say, yes, we are different and yet we love Jesus together. We will get to some hot topics, some controversial things in 1 Corinthians. And yet we begin by saying we love Jesus together. We are holy. We are called to live out our holiness. And we're called to unify around the name of Jesus. And that's how God grows us. That's how God changes the world. And this is the song, the main point, the melody of our letter, that we exist by him and for him and to him, and we exist to give him glory together. So what we're doing right now matters. It matters. So let's keep doing it together, and we will be more holy. Let's pray. Jesus, our holiness, we find every ounce of it in you. Thank you that you have made us pure and holy You've taken our ugliness and you've made it beautiful in in your name. I pray that as we study 1 Corinthians over the next few months, that our church will grow in unity together around you. We will love each other dearly, forgive each other, walk with each other, weep with each other, rejoice with each other, all in your name, and that you will do something mighty in this congregation, this church that belongs to you. We trust you. We know you're going to do something with this. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.